Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country. And good morning, this is Annie for Showreel, our little look at the Australian film industry. And today we have a chat with uh, uh, Kaya Roach-Turner, director and co-writer of the Australian zombie movie of 2014, Windward Day of the Dead. This is the first feature for Roach-Turner. Last year the film caused a stir amongst the money and fame-obsessed industry by attracting the interest of a major US player, uh, Canel. Canal Studio. On this topic, the Australian film Babadook, which wowed international audiences but barely made a ripple here at the Australian box office until a recent re-release locally uh, because of the stir overseas, has just been named Film of the Year at the Australian version of the Academy Awards, the Actor Awards. So there you go. And uh, this is a, this item is not really about the Australian film industry, but it actually is worth noting that there has been an interesting lack of mainstream media interest in a protest being pushed by female actors on the American scene uh, at the red carpet at the recent US Golden Globe Awards. People like Scarlett Johansson and Kate Blanchard are publicly complaining that female actors are constantly being asked non-questions or as Johansson calls from the rabbit food questions about what they're wearing and how they're juggling work and family, unlike their male counterparts. If you go online, you will find quite a presence regarding this particular topic. But interestingly enough, as I've said, it hasn't reached the gossip chain, which is the meme-averse that purports to be mainstream news. A recent study of female contribution in US propaganda arm Hollywood has directors... Uh, at a figure of about 7%, which is down on previous years, while recently the 31st Sundance Film Festival representation of women directors is soaring. So there you go. From Romper Stomper to Spotswood, my year without sex and animal kingdom, the western suburbs of Melbourne have played a prominent role in the setting of Australian films. Setting Sun Short Film Festival aims to recognise and reward the filmmakers of the western suburbs and the craft of filmmaking in general. Screening over four nights in the gloriously prestigious Sun Theatre in Yarraville, the festival will reflect and celebrate Melbourne's most creatively diverse community. The festival is now open for entries until the 31st of January 2015. For more info, 
go to settingsunshortfilmfestival.com.au. While most award categories recognise the film or filmmakers' connection to the West, entry is also available to all filmmakers in the open category. Setting Sun Short Film Festival runs from the 16th to the 19th of April 2015. Setting Sun Short Film Festival is a proud 3CR supporter. And you're on Showreel with Annie on 3CR. And as promised, here is my chat with director-writer Kieran Roach-Turner about his film Windward, The Day of the Dead, which is screening at the Moonlight Cinema down at the uh, Botanical Gardens. If you're interested, it's starting in Melbourne this weekend. If you're interested, go to online and make a booking. Uh, Karen, uh, Karen Roach-Turner. Congratulations on your film, uh, Winwood. Uh, you did two things, which, uh, given the context of the Australian box office, uh, you made a genre film and you mm. kept the Australian accents. <laughs> <laughs> what was it's that funny all about? I should mention that, actually. There's, there's a lot of young filmmakers who I'm actually quite, quite close friends with, and they all do the American accent thing. And as much as I love them all and, and their films are fantastic, it, it grates on my nerves dearly to have... Uh, to have um, American accents in Australian films. It just kills me. It's like, look at the landscape, look at the culture. It's so rich, so amazing, and we're such weird, funny people. Why not put us on the silver screen, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, why genre? Why the why the, um, why the I, zombies? I love genre, always have done. So whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, horror, I just, uh, I'm a big fan. Like, to me, if you put a story through the prism of, of, a, of sort of genre tropes, it's just interesting. Um, why zombies? They're cheap. Um, you, you look at zombies and you go, okay, they're covered in blood, you need some contact lenses, you know, they need to be a bit muddy with some torn clothing, and you need a bunch of friends and a camera, that's all you need. Um, you know, you look at a film like sort of Bad Taste, um, Peter Jackson's first film that he made in New Zealand. Yeah, great film. Um, it, it, oh, fantastic. Like, we used to watch that almost sort of once a week when I was a kid. Um, and, like, it's just a bunch of friends and a camera. And he just did that on weekends, and we thought, if he can do that, we can do that, you know? Um, that was kind of the thing. Also, the, the films that we grew up watching as kids were, you know, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. That was made, that was his first film, I think, straight out of college, or actually he might have still been in college when he made that. Um, and then you got, you know, Dawn of the Dead, which is, you know, fairly low-budget stuff, and, and they're such fantastic films that we thought, you know, they're, they're the ones, you know, these kind of cheap, low-budget, you know, big shocks. Um, uh, and, and they kind of get audiences up and stamping, and, and it's, with, with horror films, your film's kind of allowed to look a little bit dodgy. But if you're making a romantic comedy and your film looks bad, audiences are a lot less forgiving. So we knew that, you know, we could, we could put something together and even if it looked a bit dodgy, at least people, you know, we'd get a few scares and, and uh, you know, screams and, and that's kind of all people want from a horror film, yeah. Yeah, actually, though, it doesn't look dodgy at all. It's very competent. And one of the things I was really impressed with was the way you tied uh, close-ups with uh, the camera movement to make the audience into a spectator, you know, so that there's tension and expectation. Can you talk about your filmmaking style and the vocabulary? Yes, well, thank, thank you for, for saying that. Yeah, I'm a massive Scorsese fan, and nobody cuts from a wide to a close-up like Scorsese. Um, and um, I, I guess that's, that's where the style came from, that kind of frenetic, you know, constant camera movement, constant editing sort of comes from. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his... Um, but, I mean, the, the thing about a close-up is I think when you're shooting a scene, always remember to shoot your close-ups because um, if, the, if the scene's not working, you can always cut to close-up and it'll always save a scene. Um, so that's, 
don't know. I guess I guess that's kind of where that came from. To, to, to be honest, I feel there's probably too many close-ups in the film, which which gives an indication of how often the scenes weren't working. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I guess that's. I mean, the style basically came from me watching. Oh God! When I was like 16 through to 19, I'd, I'd sometimes be watching six to ten films a day. Um, I really had no life. I'm a massive movie geek, and um, that's you know the, the vocabulary comes from just obsessively watching films over and over again from from the age of 13 through to now. So. Well, it works yeah, really well, and it's um, really compelling. I w- it, it was because you started that quite early. Uh, it uh, became quite involving, and the way the characters were moving, but we weren't obsessing with their nostrils or <laughs> whatever. You know, like did they you, do. In... Did you find it? Did you find it a bit relentless? Some people have been saying it's a bit too intense. What, what did you think? No, I didn't think it was too, too relentless. In fact, I was really impressed. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you collaborated with your brother on the screenwriting, the, the mm. script, did mm. that give you flexibility? More flexibility? in uh, when you're actually making the film because you know what's in the script doesn't always turn out to be as it uh, was in yeah. the film making it did give us more flexibility and the fact that we financed it ourselves was fantastic because we got to learn how to write during a process rather than a studio you know or distributor coming in and going look here's what's wrong with it get out of the way we're going to hire a real screenwriter and fix this for you before we go ahead and give you money we were able to make all the mistakes on our own and fix them on our own and one of the great things, I think, about this film, I, I do think it's a little bit patchy and it's a little bit dodgy sometimes story-wise, but what it is is, is consistently original. And, and I think that original, originality comes from, um, you know, people not really knowing how to write. And, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day and they asked about the screenplay and they said, oh, what was the process? And I said, our screenplay was like a slow-motion crash occurring over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a it was a calamity. Um, the first film that we wrote was completely different, and we rewrote it and rewrote it. And halfway through, I sort of turned to Bianca Brady, who was playing Brooke, and I said, "Look, we stuffed up. I know we cast you as the love interest, but you're now the sister." Um, the the guy who played the captain, the, the evil guy at the end, he was originally cast as Barry's brother, as Jay Gallagher's brother. Um, we shot a bunch of scenes, didn't work. Uh, you know. Uh, recast him as the bad guy and, you know, move somebody around and now he's the sister and somebody else. And, I mean, it really, the, the, the film, uh, the screenplay uh, evolved as we went along over a three-and-a-half-year year process. So it's very interesting because the first version we wrote was a lot darker. It was a lot like Richard Matheson's I Am Legend with one man alone versus, you know, hordes of, of zombies. He's like the last man on Earth. It was going to be like, it was going to like like the Australian zombie version of Taxi Driver. And it was just... We did some screenings with audiences early on, you know, mostly friends and family, and kind of realised it was just too intense. So we thought, look, let's ratchet up the adventure, rewrite the entire thing, cut a bunch of scenes and, and kind of reinvent the film as a little bit more adventurous. And, and I think that works in its favour, yeah. Yeah, I think it does. And one of the things is that I reckon might be an Australian element, but I don't know, you may disagree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watch various American things and they seem to have an incapacity to make the female character as dominant as it possibly should be. Uh, and in this film, you not only have a really strong female character, but you have a really strong, normal, Aboriginal character. And um, it, it took me back to the 1980s with those compelling um, graphic novels that used to be created at that time. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? Um, both of those things, I guess they're two different questions. The, the female lead was very important to me because I'm a big... Uh, 
I hate the damsel, the damsel in distress thing. Um, and there's, um, it's just your standard trope to have the female character as a narrative foil for the male character to rescue and you know become become the hero. And really, if you look at the film, uh, she actually saves herself. And she's the only person who actually makes consistently good decisions throughout. Um, and, and really, you know, the, the main uh, male character is full of bluster and he's good at blowing heads off. And, but really, you know, every time he tries to rescue her, he kind of stuffs up and she has to save herself, which is a... I, I, that was a big thing for me in the screenplay. It was really, it was really important to me to, to have a female character like that. And I think Bianca Brady really did well in that part. Leon Birchill was a, a very interesting thing, actually. He, he originally had a smaller part. Now... The, the, the part Yuri Kovic played, um, that was actually that part. We wrote it for Yuri. And he, he was unable to finish the film, uh, so we had to schedule him out. And I literally looked around for the best actor to fill the part, and there was Leon. Um, so I didn't cast him because he's Aboriginal or even write the part for an Aboriginal. And, and I, I sort of took him aside and I said, look, mate, like, this is not your part. What do you want me to change? And he said, not a thing. And yeah, that was what was so strong about it. That's what I really meant. I, I didn't really mean to say that it was purely Aboriginal in the sense that he's just there and it's great. But, but the funny thing is, you know, the, the fact that he is Indigenous actually changed everything. So, like, the whole sequence that we, we did at the start, I was so fascinated by his character and by his portrayal, such a charismatic screen presence, that, that we just kept writing. And we were able to bring in the language, you know, he's from up, uh, up top of Cairns. We were able to use some of his language in some of those scenes, which is fantastic. And we wrote the whole opening scene with him and his brother, just off the back of, of him starting to play this character. So it did actually expand into something that he could make his own. But I thought it was really interesting that he took one look at that script and he said, don't change a thing. I just want to play the part, you know? So that's, that's kind of what we did. And he was, he was fantastic. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a great actor. Yeah, he's a great yeah, actor. Great guy, great guy too. He's, um, there's a lot of elements in that character, isn't it? And I, I quite like how he flips between the comic relief to this serious, soulful person. To, yeah, but I think I, all of my favourite characters are like that, you know, and I think all of us are like that. I think all of us are, you know, we're, we're, we're crazy and we're normal and we're funny and we're sad and, you know, I think every person is a dichotomy. So if you, if you use one stereotype to define your character, you're doing it a disservice, you know, because I think people are all things at once. So I, I love characters that sort of stretch in multiple directions like that, yeah. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. This is Natalie from Blue King Brown and you're listening to 3CR. Support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. And indeed you are on 3CR and you can access this program over the next week online uh, streaming. So uh, at the moment we're having a yarn with director-writer Kieran Roach-Turner about his film Windward Day of the Dead, which will be showing at uh, the Moonlight Cinemas 
this week, starting this weekend. I think it's got a, a week or so that it's going to be showing. So go online and make your booking. Sounds like a lovely place to go and watch a movie out in the Botanical Gardens in Melbourne. Uncertain about where they get shown in other cities, but they are definitely out there as well. Now, you um, have made a uh, short, and this is your uh, first major feature, uh, uh, which is, you know, a fairly extraordinary uh, uh, event because you've punched up above your weight, in a sense. You took it off to America. Can you tell us about your American experience? Yeah, it was very, very strange Um, to screen. It was weird to screen. Like, I made this film, and this is a film made by Australians for Australians. Like, I didn't think that the global audience would kind of even understand half of it. And we, we took it to Austin and they absolutely lapped it up. Um, they, they really liked it and they seemed to get everything. You know, they laughed in all the right places. And, you know, then we took it to Citrus and, you know, we had... I mean, the, the Spanish audiences are just amazing for horror because they do a weird thing that people don't do in Australia and America, which is stomp and cheer. <laughs> and to have, somebody, to have an entire crowd react to your film like a bunch of soccer hooligans is, I mean, that, if that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, nothing will. Um, that was great. And we took it to Sweden and they loved it. So it, it's, it, we, I think we either picked the right genre or we just got lucky, but it seems to have hit the zeitgeist in a weird way. Probably what happened is I stole from all the right directors. Um, and, and people just, they, they see this film and they recognise it. You know, I, I, guess, um, I, I guess it's, it's a general enough subject that, that people sort of understand what we're talking about. And that probably comes off the back of, oh, I don't know. I, mean, I guess one of my favourite films was, you know, Mad Max growing up, and we can't really talk about Wormwood without talking about Mad Max because it was such, a, such an influence. Um, and when Miller wrote that, you know, he really wrote, you know, um, according to The Hero with a Thousand Faces, um, which is, you know, that great mythology book that details that, um, you know, all stories, um, you know, that have been passed down for the last 10,000 years are all the same story. You know, it's a hero who comes in and saves this and that. And, and I, I guess we must have just latched onto a bit of that because people all over the world seem to be, to be reacting to this in a, in a reasonably positive way. So, you know, we're very lucky. Yeah, but but you, America was wild. Yeah, but you so signed they, up to something. You know, big companies came sniffing around your door, didn't they? Yeah. Well, Studio Canal. Like, I mean, I, I wasn't even sure if we were going to get distribution in this country. Um, I mean, honestly, like, I, I, when, we, when we started this film back in 2010, back when I was a lot thinner and a lot younger, mm-hmm. um, we, um, I mean, I was perfectly happy to make a film that just went up on YouTube. You know, it was like, you know, we'll make this, you know, we'll spend a year on it, it'll cost 20 grand and done. Three and a half years later, and I, I guess, you know, out of our own pocket and crowdfunding and stuff like that, it probably cost about 160 grand. We're sitting there with a finished film, and it's a cracking film, but I, I knew it was good, but I didn't... We showed it to Studio Canal, and they just jumped straight on board. And then Screen Australia jumped straight on board, and you know it sort of started to uh, all happen. So Screen Oz gave us finishing funds, which really turned it from you know a sort of hour and a half long art film into a film that actually looks like a film. Um, fantastic, there. So big props to them. Um, and now we've got an actual film. So it's, I mean, I, I went in with the lowest possible expectations, and and, and now you know it, it seems like it's something that. Uh, People want to see globally, so very, very lucky. I was looking at uh, a thing where you, uh, I think it was on If, where you had uh, given your, I think it was your eight most popular, uh, most uh, influential films. My, my ten most, my, my, the ten films that changed my life for uh, filming, filming magazine. That's my favourite article that I've ever done. Yeah, yeah well, I really, really enjoyed doing that. And I was really impressed because you had a whole lot of films that I think are really 
fantastic like Brazil. <laughs> I say to people, have oh. you seen Brazil? And they go, oh, oh yeah. what's that? Brazil should just, everybody should have to watch that as a legal point. Um, oh, my God, it is so good. And, like, it's funny, actually, because people always go, oh, Mad Max and George Aramira and all this stuff and Evil Dead. And I'm like, yeah, 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 they're influences. But probably, probably the film that's more influential than anything is, is Brazil because it's so strange and bizarre and heartfelt and there's action and there's, you know, physical comedy and, like, everything that you want in a film is in this film. But I think what I mentioned in the article was the fact that he had a low budget. But, like, you look at it, and it looks like it cost $100 million. And that's down to Terry Gilliam, because he, he, he just knows how to build stuff, you know? Um, and that's really how we approached Wormwood. It was just like, look, every scene, I want there to be something built. I want there to be something unusual in the frame. And that's a very Terry, uh, Terry Gilliam thing. You know, if it, if it doesn't work, build it yourself, you know? Um, and that's the real DIY kind of way that we, that we made Wormwood, yeah. How long did it take you to make? Three and a half years to shoot, and then I guess, you know, another half year to sort of post-production. I guess it's a bit over four years now. So, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm pretty sick of zombies. <laughs> People keep, you know, going, oh, when's Wormwood 2 coming out? And I'm like, oh, don't ask that question. I Honestly, like, zombies have been my life for four years. So, we probably won't... I mean, it looks like it'll inevitably be a sequel, and, and I think what I'm telling people is, like, look, there's Mad Max 1, then you look at Mad Max 2, and Mad Max 2 is, you know, it's in the desert, and it's epic, and it's turned into this, you know, five years into the future, and, you know, it's a lot darker, and, you know, the, the corpses are a lot more... All that stuff. So we've got ideas for it, but I don't really want to... I don't want to tackle that now. So the next thing we're going to do is a... Um, uh, we had the call from Hollywood. The Hollywood's like, oh, you can do this and you can do that. Um, I, I kind of, much as I, much as I love Hollywood, and that's, I think that's the be all and end all for everybody. Everybody wants to go and do a big film in Hollywood. I kind of want to play in this sandpit uh, sand for a little bit longer. I want to stay in Australia. I want to make another low budget film. I'm halfway through the screenplay. It's like an R-rated Ghostbusters. It's going to do for, for the sort of ghosts what Wormwood did for zombies and. And I'm going to make another low-budget film here because I, I love making films here, you know? The the um, personality of it, that's the interesting thing, uh, the, the ongoing discussion about mm. Australian films not doing well in um, box office. And oh, then you have something like Babadook that just floors <laughs> the people internationally. I, I reckon at the point, we're at a point where the the issue is almost dead. What's your view? Um, Babadook's weird, though, because it flopped in Australia. It went over to France, and all these French people are going, this is, like, one of the most amazing horror films ever made. And suddenly you've got heads raising in Australia going, Babba what? I didn't know it was really. So the problem is it kind of wasn't marketed in this country. I mean, people should have been jumping up and down and going, everybody in Australia has to see this film. It's amazingly fantastic. But it's not really until the rest of the world says it's okay that Australians even get to hear about these films. So, I mean, I think the whole paradigm has to shift a little bit. Um, we, have to, we have to find new ways of getting Australians excited about these films and even knowing that they exist because without a marketing budget, um, people don't even know these, these films are around. Um, but I think that's changing. Like, the internet's changing that stuff. So, you know, I think things are shifting. I think it's an exciting time. Everything's going to have to shift. You know, what happened to the music industry is now happening to the film industry. And we're having to run to catch up to work out how to monetize what we do now. Um, you know, and uh, it's especially important for people like me who have been stupidly, I'll, I'll always put my own money into my films because, you know, um, that's just, I think, you've got to ante up. So I'm, I'm really dependent on, on people going to see the, the films. 
as to whether or not I can continue to make these types of crazy little films uh, again. So, well, it's interesting. To like them, so I, I think it's going to be. One last question, really. Uh, yes. The la- latest figures are showing something that was already writ- writing on the wall, that uh, uh, that uh, the number of people going to the movie houses to watch movies is reducing. Uh, uh, yeah. but, but that doesn't mean that uh, people aren't watching movies, of course. So uh, no. That's right. And so Wormwood uh, is perfect for other platforms. Yeah, yeah, for, for the internet and, and all that kind of stuff, and VOD and DVD and Blu-ray, obviously, are still are still going going places. But I think I, the filmmaker still really wants to get people in the theatres because it looks and sounds amazing, and it's like an event, and you get to experience it with people. I still think there needs to be that need to get people to the theatres. And I love to do Q and As, and I love to I'll travel with the film. Anything I can do to get you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 people into a room to all experience Wormwood at the same time. That's how I grew up watching films. And, and I think films deserve to be seen like that. But I'm all for new platforms. I love staying at home and watching films too, so I think there's room for everybody. So when do you start shooting your next film? As soon as I finish the screenplay, we're going to start um, uh, developing it. But we've got lots of key art and all sorts of stuff, and I'm talking with makeup artists and special effects people. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a really weird concept. It's, it's kind of like steampunk meets... Uh, oh God! Um, like Alien in a weird way. So oh, fantastic! It's going to be a it's going to be a really weird looking film. Yeah, there's there's no no film that looks like this out there at the moment. So I'm very excited about it. I'm so Hey Jodie, I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. Oh, just in the words of the Pointer Sisters, hey? Why? What's happening? The new 3CR t-shirts are coming out. We had a competition, Kate Reid won it, and it's so beautiful. It's got roses and a love heart, and then the caption is, resistance is fertile. Oh, too deadly that, eh? So in order to get one, go to the 3CR website and follow the link to shop. And right. they're $30. $30? Oh, yeah. what a bargain. And 25 for kids. You'll be able to secure one for yourself because they're in hot demand. Yay, get one now. I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. I'm about to lose control and I think I like it. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. And I just can't hide it. And that's the end of uh, Showreel this week. We've just been speaking to Kaya Roach-Turner, director and co-writer of the Australian zombie movie, uh, Win- Winwood, that uh, Day of the Dead, and it's uh, starting at the Moonlight Cinema at the Botanical Gardens in Melbourne on the weekend. So go online, do a booking. It sounds like a lovely way to spend some time. Now, there is a very important film screening that's of Ningla Ana, which is Hungry for Our Land. This is a classic documentary about Aboriginal resistance to colonisation it's an inspiring look at the great struggle of Aboriginal Tenth Embassy 40 years ago. It was made in 1972. Ningla Ana records the events surrounding the establishment of the Aboriginal Temp Embassy on the lawns of Parliament House. It incorporates interviews with black activists, the work of the National Black Theatre Aboriginal Legal Service and Aboriginal Medical Service, plus footage from the demonstrations and arrests at the embassy. This is Friday the 6th of February. This Friday, 6.30pm, it's at the Resistance Centre. That's Level 5, 407 Swanston Street, City. It's opposite RMIT. That's 407 Swanston Street, Level 5, the Resistance Centre. They suggest a donation of $10 or $5. The proceeds 
are going to the Greenleaf Weekly and there's tasty cheap meal available from 6pm. Ningla Anna. That's it for me. We're going to go out with Waving Goodbye, Lou Bennett and The Switch. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.